Welcome to Nairobi Chapel and Bakasi. We grow deep to reach wide. Greetings, everybody. I do believe and trust that we are all well, and the Lord has kept you, has sustained you, and kept you afloat in spite of you, in spite of the world, in spite of circumstances around you. And God remains to be God in your life. Before we do the last installation of the book of James, I would like to invite us to a prayer. Father, we thank you and we honor you. Thank you that you are here for us. Thank you that you will not change. Thank you that you are still in charge of our lives. And for that, we are grateful, really grateful, oh God. As we learn and hear from you, Jesus, we are praying that you will help us account for all that we do, say, and even put our hearts to do or place our hearts to do, O oh God. You are our King. You are our God. You are our everlasting Father. And without you, we can never move a muscle. We pray that you go with us even as we do your will here on earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here we are now getting to the culmination of the book of James from chapter 4 to chapter 5. And really he has done a great job in finishing it up. And today we are going to con combine both of the chapters and learn and hear what James, a great man, was really saying. The topic of today is the true living faith. And then the question comes in, by that topic, the question comes in, how does the living faith look like? So from chapter 4, he says, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires, from your pleasure, for pleasure that war in your members? Do you lust and do not have? You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, if we stand right there, if we halt right there, one of the things we will notice is that James is giving reasons as to why there is fight within the brethren. Reasons as to why there is a struggle between all of us as Christians. Why is, why is it there that... that all of us or some of us get to fight in within ourselves. Why do we have these issues between ourselves? And he brings it, brings us to understand that this was comes from the desires for pleasure. They come in between last. It's a fight that is constant within the members of the faith. It is because we have a fight. It is because that we have this thing that we call lust. We are all fighting something in within us. 
We are all struggling with something in within us. And that thing, James points it out to last. He continues to help us understand that the reason why these fights exist and the reason why we have not yet even been able to find a solution to it, it's because we have not asked for help. We have not asked for help. And when we ask for it, it's because we have our reasons as to why we ask them. And most of those reasons will not give God the glory. Most of those reasons will not bring honor to the, to the God that we serve. Most of those reasons that we continuously uh, ask for are, aren't really in the will of God. He goes on to say that we should not befriend the world. Being a friend to the world is more like becoming an enemy of God. And he says that the spirit in us, the spirit of God in us, it yearns jealously to guide us. The Holy Spirit yearns to lead us. The Holy Spirit yearns to take charge of what that we do. Paul says that I want, I mean, James says that I want to help you do this. I want to guide you. The Holy Spirit says those words every day. And I pray that this will really help us. So from verse 1 to verse 6, what we notice is that there are, he's, he, he, he dissects those chapter 4 into three dimensions. He gives us reasons as to why things are not well. And then he goes on to give us results. And then he gives us the remedy for everything that we are facing. Number one reason that James gives us is the reason for our problems, the reason why we have these struggles in between ourselves. And number one reason is hedonism. Hedonism is actually the pursuit of pleasure, the act of sensual self-indulgence. There is no end to our pursuit of pleasure. There is no limit to our sensual indulgence. We will go to any extent to get something. So James offers the answer to his question. He says it and then he offers an, 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 uh, an answer to it. He says the source of our problems is in our own self-centered search for pleasure. Like symptoms of disease, of a disease, our emotions are constantly revealed by the selfish goals that we have. The lust, the envy, the quarreling, and the fighting. They are all the reasons as to why we have this fight in between the brethren. He even asked what is the source of the conflict among ourselves? Why is it that there is strife and conflict and tension? Why is it that they thrive among believers? And he says it's because there is some root of carnality, some root of fleshliness, some root of unsurrendered, rebellious aspects in our lives. And all of these are the ones that are causing us to fight. It's called hedonism. James helps us understand that even these unsatisfied friends, this unsatisfied life is what will always ask. It will always ask and will go to any extent to have whatever it lasts for. James is advising us, let us be mindful of what we constantly put or place our hearts towards. What is that thing that we constantly cannot deal without? We cannot do, we believe we cannot do without. We believe that we cannot live without. James is telling us that unsatisfied life will always ask and ask and ask and will go to any extent 
to have whatever it lasts for. Number two, he gives us the result of our problems. And the results, one of the results of the problems, well, I believe this is one of them, is hostility. We become hostile towards each other. Endless search or pursuit for pleasure will always lead to hostility. Because you won't always get it as quick as you want to. Whatever you lust for, you don't always get it as quick as you would want it. So it will always lead you to hostility. The fact that we are fighting among ourselves, we are jealous of each other. We don't want to see other people uh, in, the in, 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 the, in, in the faith to succeed. Whenever we look at them, we, see, we admire their lifestyle and all we end up is, we are, we are admiring their lifestyles and we go head on to try and get it. And in that pursuit of trying to get it, something that God decided that you will live like this, you were born like this, you, are, you will live like this, the life that God has called for each and every one of us. James is telling us that let's be careful that even in our pursuits, let not the pursuit of pleasure become one of them. As you are pursuing education, as you are, whatever you are, whatever you are pursuing today, do not let the pursuit of pleasure become the apex of your pursuit, of your pursuits, sorry. And so most of us in the, in, in the faith, we have gotten so caught up in our own pursuits that we become hostile towards others. And notice that when you become to, to, hostile towards others, you also become hostile towards God. And so he calls them these great, big, big, huge names. And he uses a very strong language from the New King James Version. He calls them adulterers and adulteresses. He says that it's, it's, it's more like somebody who leaves his own marriage and goes out there in the world for self-fulfillment. He's telling us to be very careful because you leave your first love, which is God. You leave your first desires and you go looking for self-fulfillment let us be careful from verse 4 to verse 6 talks about that kind of hostility and then the third thing he gives us is the remedy but let's let's see what he says in the remedy he says therefore submit to god from verse 7 to 17 he says, therefore submit to god resist the devil and he will flee from you draw near to god and he will draw near to you hmm. That's a very nice scripture right there. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. You double-minded, lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such a place and such a city. Spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. 
Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Wow, wow, wow. That right there is a very strong remedy and a very good remedy for us to understand that God wants us to approach these things from a different perspective. He wants us to understand that by ourselves, by ourselves, we will never be able to do these ourselves. We cannot tame our pursuits because most times we do not even understand when these pursuits are taking a toll on us. On our own, we cannot resolve our divisions and quarrels. Notice when James steps in, he cuts through the fat and spells out the reason and the remedy for their problems. Now, since God opposes the proud, we know that God opposes the proud, but he does help the humble. So the solution lies in asking humbly for grace. Now, these people hadn't asked for anyone's help. Notice in verse 2, he says, you, you have not asked it. You have not yet asked to this point. You have not yet asked anything. So most of the time, what we need to understand is James is pushing us back or he's rather directing us to the place of being humble. Do not think, do not plan without putting God in charge. Don't think that your prayers can corner God. Don't, th don't even think that you pray to a reluctant God who never hears your prayer. He is advising us that we should remain humble in all of this. And what we need to know is that most times, most times, humility will bring both peace and solutions in our lives. Passionate and focused Christians will always discern the root of the problems quickly and offer practical solutions. As Christians, we must be focused to discern the root of our problems. Our carnal nature will always want what it cannot have and it will try to keep what it cannot keep. Please remember last week we talked about our hearts are fallen. Our hearts are constantly fallen and the things they desire, they are not necessarily God's will for us. We may want stuff for our lives. We may want we may want stuff. We may want things to change for certain ways in certain ways. We may want our world to look in a certain way, but if it is not in God's will for your lives. You must rest at that fact. But good news is our fallenness is what draws God nearer to us. That fallenness is what brings God closer to us. The fact that you are fallen, your heart does not always think on the things of God. That makes it viable to be helped by God. Let us be careful with our pursuits. Let me give a some nuggets and why i think we need to submit to god one we submit to god because it's absolutely crazy <laughs> it's absolutely crazy to rebel against god you cannot disown god disowning god is more like trying to disown your parent it is crazy to rebel against god number two we submit to god because it's the only way we can have peace with god each and every one of us, we were born in certain rhythms. There's a reason why you do whatever you do. There's always a reason as to why you do whatever you do. These submissions, these kind of submissions are what causes our lives to remain stagnant, to remain, to remain uh, retrogressive, 
These are some of the things that God wants us to understand. And those are the reasons that why God is close to us. Because some of the rhythms that we are introduced to when we are kids are a block. They are an obstacle to what God is introducing us to. You can't see new things because you are so submitted to old versions. Let us be careful. These are things that God is continually delivering us from. Number four, the end. God wants us to deal with the devil as a conquered foe. He is not strong. He may have some effect on our lives. He may have effect on things around us, but he is a conquered foe. Let that stick in our minds and in our hearts. He's a conquered foe. Number five is that we have to constantly resist the devil. That's the only way we overcome him. Consistent resistance is how we overcome the enemy. Because through that is how we, through the consistent resistance, that's how we deny the enemy our consent. That's the only way we deny our enemy our consent. Because genuine faith will always seek to act upon the will of God. Chapter 5, he changes dimensions. And let's hear what he says from chapter 5. He says, come now you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their cor corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields which you kept back by fraud cry out and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the lord of sabaoth you have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury mm. you have fattened your heart in a, as in a day of slaughter you have condemned you have murdered the just it does not resist you james starts on a high note and number one, one of the things we need to understand is that he's confronting the practices and the attitudes of the ungodly rich. Notice that, quote-unquote, it's the ungodly rich. After chapter 4 addressing us on having a humble dependence on God, it seems from his viewpoint we all have an intense temptation to live independently from God. And he's warning the ungodly rich who feel that heaping up treasure Keeping up things in these last days, heaping up instead of seeking God, instead of being careful with our attitudes, instead of being careful with our practices, instead of how we deal with people who seems like they are our subordinates, how we deal with them, God is not happy with it and he has judgment for such kind of people. He's even warning us that money could easily become an obstacle to our righteous living if we are not careful with it and may hinder the success that comes from God having his way in our lives. I'm reminded of the great rich man who lived with a beggar, and the beggar used to eat from underneath his table. He would wait for the rich man to drop some crumbs and eat those crumbs until they got to heaven, and the judgment was not so good. He's simply trying to help us understand that let us be careful on the attitudes, even when we have the wealth, even when we have all that we have been desiring in form of wealth. Let us be careful that we do not stand in the way of God having his way in our lives. Let's stop heaping up wealth, treasures in these last days. Let us stop living in pleasure and in luxury 
in other words he's saying it's it is he's saying it's not bad to be you know it's not bad to be wealthy but be careful that it does not get to your heart that it stands in the way of god having his way in your life notice what he says in verse 8 to 12 he says therefore be patient brethren he's now addressing a different crowd therefore be patient brethren until the coming of the lord see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain you also be patient establish your hearts for the coming of the lord is at hand do not grumble against one another brethren lest you lest you be condemned behold the judge is standing at the door my brethren take the prophets who spoke in the name of the lord as an example of suffering and patience indeed we count them blessed who endure you have heard of the perseverance of job and seen the end intended by the lord that the lord is very compassionate and merciful but above all my brethren do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath but let your yes be yes and in your no be no lest you fall into judgment james stands the audience wheel and decides to also address those who are being oppressed by the ungodly reached what he's trying to do he wants to avoid a class war this is the most exciting thing about the book of james he he brings the issue at hand and then gives a remedy for it he gives a reason at why we are having fights he brings about the results of the fight and finally isn't it funny he brings the results later and then the remedy isn't it funny that james whatever the book of james says everything is actually what we deal with every day notice he turns the audience will and he's avoiding a class war that the rich and the poor he's avoiding he wants them to avoid a class war he shifts their focus and perspective away from the oppression and tells them to reserve vengeance for the lord he reminds them of job we all know the story of job and how that man went through a lot but he never he never shifted his focus from god his perspective about god never changed that god is the one who deals with us that god is the one who is in charge of all that goes on in our lives He's trying to help us understand that there are many fights and victories that we get through patience and persistence. Let us practice that. Let us work. Let God work on our patience. The Christian maturity development is a process. It is a process. We cannot be able to understand God from one side. Today I'll come and give you a side of my experience. Another one will come tomorrow and give you another side. Those are the many sides of God. How he chooses to reveal himself. Remember, God is not recognized or discovered. God is simply revealed. God is revealed, not discovered. He is revealed. Not only are we waiting on Jesus to return, but he is also waiting for us to grow. He's not only preparing a place for us, but he's also preparing us for the place. James chapter 5, verse 13 to 20, as we culminate, he says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer 
avaricious man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruits. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. James is calling us to identify the problem, intercede for others, and finally intervene in the process. Number one, identify. Identify. Christians are to identify the problems. Identify the problem. Then identify with the problem. Remember when Jesus came and all he did was be with those who are not accepted in the society. He identified with their problems. We are to come to aid of those in need. Whether they suffer from sickness, suffering or sin. We are to identify with them. Number two, we are to intercede. Remember he quotes Elijah who was weary, who was tired, who was a man like us. But he interceded that it would rain. We are to pray for those who are in need. Pray for them. And finally, we should intervene. And by intervention, we mean we are to throw ourselves as Christians or rather as brethren. Let us throw ourselves in the direction of our prayers. Do not just only pray for me. Don't only pray for me. Throw yourself in the direction of your prayer. If you're praying for me, find out about me. Call me. Don't just pray, intervene. Do anything you can to aid in the restoration for which you honestly pray for. These are some of the things that James tries to help us understand. And I pray that we are going to learn. We are going to be careful with our pursuits. We are going to be careful on how we deal with those that are our leaders. Let us even be careful how we deal with those that may seem or look like they have it all. And also for them that may seem or look like they have it all, we should be careful with how we treat those who are beneath us. Well, friends, I pray that God heals you and takes charge of your life in all ways. Join us every Sunday from 11 a.m. at Trubani House off Airport North Road. Have a blessed week.